today. A special holiday gift for the last show of the year. You're going to be very excited about it. Howard reunites with one of his heroes. My Howard. hero. <laughs> My hero. I want to live with a wow. In the flesh. Is that really you? Singer, songwriter, musician, activist, two-time Grammy winner, and Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Neil Young. I want to talk to Neil Young. Did music turn you into the man you always kind of wanted to be? Music turned me into myself. I love to be able to disappear into the music. traditional Christmas music. I think it's wonderful that we adapted the uh, a Great American Nightmare to give you that holiday feeling, but not that same old holiday music. That's right, Robin. You're absolutely that, A lot of work went into that. I, you know, I don't like to pull back the curtain, but the geniuses who work on this show, uh, to put together what you just heard, the um, Rob Zombie song and Christmas mashup, so to speak, uh, a lot of work. Uh, a lot of this was recorded. Uh, I, I should have the guys. The mashup has 64 audio tracks in total. I'm not kidding. What? This is true. Yes, this was made by our staff. Um, give me the credits on that, guys. Write it down what? for me because, uh, they, you know, let's give credit where credit is due. You should, here's how the guys record it. I'll, I'll show you. Dig deep down from planet X, the team ghosts in the devil's head. Step right up and feel the fire, hardcore love of the never dead. Call me now, the American Nightmare. Beautiful. Me yes, this was produced. I won't talk over it. This was produced by our own Rich Gibbons. Everyone loves Rich Gibbons. And um, that big choir sound features two of our singers. Our senior producer, Jeremy Lipkin, and former staffer and current uh, voiceover talent, Connie Martino. Though that, That's just their two Those voices. Those two up. are making all of that music. That's right. 45 tracks of vocals total. Wow. Jeremy sung five parts of harmony and Connie sung four parts. So, you know. You don't you know, need a choir. Why are they always dragging out a choir? You need two people. <laughs> I'm pulling the curtain back, but, you know, we are, we are uh, perceived on this show as a, a bunch of morons and uh, talentless fucks, but uh, really a lot of uh, talent. Uh, eat your heart out, Phil Spector. He's gone, though, so he, he doesn't have to be jealous. Listen to that wall of sound. Yes. Wall of sound. <laughs> In the holiday season, I'm particularly grateful to the people who work on our show. They're so talented. A lot of show-offs in this organization. Well, you know, should, uh, as they say on the Academy Awards, so many things, so many people went into this award, and their names never get mentioned. I know. I, I, sh I You know what? It is the last show before the holiday break. I should um, do it. I should have done a show today where I introduce people who do some of the voices that you love. And um, I, I should do some of that. But it takes a village of lunatics to put this show together. All right, I should close the curtain. I've just opened the curtain behind the scenes, and now I should close that curtain. Okay. But um, 
But I am particularly grateful to our staff. They do such a great job all year, you know, making people laugh. Uh, sometimes uh, we, we win and sometimes we lose, but we're always trying. Um, so many of the voices that you hear on the air, they're, they're all so talented. You know what I'll do when we get back from break? I'll put together a show where I will pull back the curtain again, and I will introduce you to some of the players on this show Very and what good. they do. And Because that's uh, incredible that that's just two people. That's just two people, as I say. What's so nice about having a deep bench of very talented people is that whatever we come up with, whether I come up with something or, or our gang of writers come up with something or our producers, uh, we have the people available to actually make it happen. Yeah, you don't so, have to wonder how to get it done. That's right. We just say, get it done, and it gets done. Give me a big chorus, singing Rob Zombie Christmas music. Boom. There it is. Just a boom. Deep, deep down from planet ghosts in the devil's head. head. Let me tell like you. singing together. They sure do. What an illusion. You think it was a bunch of people doing that. Nick, you're on the air in Indiana. Let's talk a little bit. Let's we got a lot to do. Hey now, Howard. Hey now. Hey now. I, I, I gotta tell you. Hey now. That interview yesterday with uh Ben Affleck, I've never heard you so locked in before. I mean, it was uh fantastic. I mean well, uh, I got emotional about it. Uh, especially the part uh, when you were talking to him about uh, his father. And uh, I thought you were going to kind of pull back, but you kept going. You dug in there. It was tremendous. I mean, you did an excellent job. I'd say it's probably one of your best interviews of all time, if not the best. You you did an excellent job. Uh, Well, thank you. I want to say a few words about Ben Affleck. And I'm glad you called in first, Nick, because it gets me organized. And you know, did I've you got stay a bunch up of all night, so you could be first. Well, well I'm glad he did. I mean... However, however he did it, he was first. And I <laughs> and I, I do want to say a few words about Ben Affleck because I called him last night, and uh, I had his personal number. Not many people give me their personal number. First of all, uh, it's a very dangerous thing to give me your personal number. I might never stop hounding you. But he uh, gave me his personal number. I didn't get to talk to him. I left him a message. And I thanked him on behalf of my show and the audience and everyone who works on the show. I said, you know, uh, first of all, you're very gracious to give us all that time. Secondly, um, you know, geez, I think the things that you had to say were so important to hear. And the way you're open and honest about life, I thought it was so terrific. You know, we we live in a world, especially with social media, where everyone is criticized and everyone is put upon if they're real. And this is part of the problem with cancel culture. People are becoming more and more afraid to say what's on their mind because they're afraid of the judgment. They're afraid of the fact that they could lose their livelihood, this kind of thing. But I got no sense from this guy that he was editing himself or sitting there and trying to sugarcoat life 
he was really very raw and very open about not only the movie business that he is in, but also about some of the downs that he's had in his life where people stopped communicating with him because he had a couple of movies that tanked. Yeah, mostly fact that people he, won't the, let you in on their bad times yes. and how hard it was. The fact that he talked about even the movies that tanked, you know, a lot of people just kind of try to forget that and push it aside, especially when they're on a roll like he is. So it was very unusual to me to be having that level of conversation with a guy on the radio where he just came and said, let's talk. You You had him. I mean, listen, let let me let me let me eliminate the word. I had him. He is an open guy. He is vulnerable. And he he was willing to wear his heart on his sleeve. Now, the reason I even bring this up uh, that I called him, I was so grateful for the interview because the entire I don't know how long we talked, almost two hours. The entire two hours was pretty phenomenal in that I felt like it was just a, a conversation I might have had with someone in private, like in, at a dinner party. If I met Ben Affleck and I had a chance to talk with him, we'd just be. Hey, you know, like, what was it like when you made this movie? What's what's Clooney like? What was it like when you were married and, you know, and 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 the paparazzi? The guy was, he was sharing with us. So I found it a little bit disturbing, but it it comes with the territory. When I, I, um, I I saw in the tabloids almost immediately, uh, Ben Affleck gets criticized for saying he was drinking because he felt trapped in his marriage. And I thought about it, and I said, geez, that's what you got out of that interview, because here's what I got. I'm a divorced man. I know tons of people who are divorced. In fact, half of this country is divorced. People who are yeah, in marriages are now divorced. Yeah, most people are divorced at least once. The people I meet who aren't divorced have been in deep relationships where they broke up. I can tell you that in Almost every single conversation I've ever had with a divorced man or woman, and I say, what went wrong? I've heard four out of five times, I felt trapped. I felt like, and now what does it mean when a a divorced man or woman says they felt trapped? Here's what it means. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. Here's what it means. It means they're a good person. It means they married someone under the promise that it was going to be forever. Then they have kids. And then all of a sudden, you realize, for whatever reason, you're not in love with this person anymore. But you feel trapped because you're honest, you want to stand by your word, you don't want to leave the home where your children are, you don't. You made a vow to someone who is meaningful to you, somebody you once loved but you might not be in love with anymore for a variety of reasons. But for whatever reason, you feel trapped because, geez, I don't want to hurt anybody. How do I work this out? I'd rather drink myself. They're trapping you. No, you are trapped by your own conscience and your desire to live up to your word. That's right. That's exactly it. So what Ben described in an incredibly honest moment especially for a celebrity who's probably been coached by every fucking public relations person. The guy gets on here and he says, yeah, I felt trapped. I knew exactly what he meant. Yeah. He was saying yeah, to us. Sound, 
Yeah, he wasn't saying I blame my wife for my drinking. He knows who he knows he was drinking. He decided to drink because he was trapped and he felt like maybe I could get through life if I'm drunk. You know, I told you about my mother the other day and I was making a joke out of it. But in all seriousness, she needed to go on Valium. She, she, whatever, whatever nightmare she was having, she felt trapped. My father even said to her, let's start drinking. In other words, let's deal with this by doing something that we medicate ourselves. And so this guy, Ben Affleck, if you take one sentence out, I felt trapped in my marriage and criticize it. You've missed the point. When he was talking about the deep hurt that he was in, that he made a couple of shitty movies, and now he wouldn't even hear from his friends. That Anybody can relate to that. Anybody who's been down on their luck. So this guy was so relatable. I was so grateful. Like you, Nick, I felt like, geez, I really fucking dig this guy. And, and I'll tell you something here. Let me continue. The fans wrote in. And so many people said, um, great interview with Ben. I've changed my opinion about him. He isn't some stuck-up, ignorant prick the media portrays him to be. Thanks for peeling back layers of these individuals, making them more real and likable than mainstream media makes them out to be. Um, um, here, best interview. I always love Ben's movies, but now I'm a huge fan. Howard, it really changed my view of him after Tuesday's interview. Uh, ben Affleck was awesome today. Uh, uh, Howard, he shed some light on who he really is and who and who and what he's been through. Uh, the, I, I loved it. Um, the Ben Affleck interview was one of the greatest. If you want an honest, unfiltered account of alcoholism, addiction, and sobriety, it's a must listen. I felt that the whole time. I was like, I wonder if this, you know, if you're dealing with that issue, he was so dead on about how you go through it, how you get out of it. Yeah. Uh, when he said, I was, I was, I'll, I'll tell you what, I got on my um, on the phone with my psychiatrist yesterday for 45 minutes. All I talked about was Ben Affleck. I said, I learned a lot from this guy. When he was talking about... Well, Howard. Yeah. Is it weird that I was thinking about you when you were talking about him, though? I was I was listening to both, but I was also thinking about you especially when he touched in on his father and the relationship there. I was thinking. Yeah, uh, sure. I, I mean, I, you. for a guy to talk about his pain and, and he, and he, he had to stop for a few uh, seconds a couple of times because he was going to get emotional for him to talk about his father in that way. You don't see that or hear that from people no. who are so accomplished and they have, you know, public relations people, this guy, sat back, lit up a cigarette, and fucking started to yeah. talk about his life in a way that uh, rarely happens anywhere. Yeah, I defy you to find anybody on that level who could sit back and fucking tell you the way his life went in such honest yeah. terms. When he was talking about yeah. the pain of these, you know, of, of, uh, of Robert Wall goofing on him and becoming a joke to some guy at Saturday Night Live, which, by the way, we spent about 17 hours trying to figure out who it was and we'd narrowed it down to a few people. <laughs> but when he, when he, um, was talking about that, you know, and even I said to him, well, you know, being back with Jennifer Lopez, Back in those days, I bet you that even cost you when when you had a couple of tank movies 
and you guys are in a movie together, it probably costs you your relationship because, yeah, it was about 50% of that. That, you know, you, you start to feel like you got a stink on you, you know? And uh, this guy was so honest and raw. So, you know, to just come out of it and say, oh, you know, he he, he got out of his marriage because he felt um, trapped. I can't tell you how honest that. I mean, every divorced person I know, no matter who leaves who, felt trapped in some way because of these vows we take, because of the, you know, because most people are decent. Most people don't want to get divorced. Most people don't want to betray a relationship. Most people don't want to say, I know I promised you forever, but unfortunately, we ain't doing so well. This guy, this guy was sensational yesterday. Not good, sensational. Yes. So were and, you. Uh, so were you. Well, thanks. But I, I don't know about that. But I, I think this guy. No, you were. <laughs> well, I, that's why I called him yesterday. And I called most of our guests and I say thank you. But uh, and don't get me wrong. This ain't taken away from some of the phenomenal people who have uh, done the show. But man, oh man, what he was saying yesterday I thought was great. And I agree with the listeners who wrote me, and almost everybody wrote in and said, man, wow, this guy is is really deep. So there you yeah. go. That's but, uh, no, I, I was just wanted listening to... to Neil Young in an interview last night. And yeah. he said, the media is the enemy. And when you take one thing from a conversation that was so incredible to demonize this guy, to continue your thread that he's a rotten guy, when right. he's been so open and honest and giving, you realize, yes, the, the demon is the media. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I hear you because when I saw that, that someone was out of the whole two hour, I thought the two hour interview was so phenomenal that people would say, oh, my God. Ben Affleck's this deep guy. I thought the media would say, geez, the guy really gave some we good life lessons yeah. about sobriety. The kids should listen to Everyone should listen to this. And um, no, this one little comment that he made that uh, he felt trapped in his marriage, which is, by the way, I can guarantee you the guy who writes the article, if he was divorced, might have felt trapped or some similar feeling that I don't want to betray my marriage, but it looks like I'm going to have to. And so, uh, you know, it's weird to because in the worst way, I hope somehow Ben Affleck knows that I really sincerely thought that this guy did a, a great service yesterday to my audience and and uh, was just great. And there is no way you could listen to those two hours and not say, geez, this guy is keeping it real. I mean, you know, he's not some well-rehearsed guy talking about. Yeah, hey, I'm a great dad, I'm a great this, I'm a great dad, no, I have no problems, and uh, I hope I win the Academy Award. He, when, he, when he said on the air yesterday, he goes, uh, you know what, man, fuck it, I wanted that Academy Award. I really, really wanted it. I went out, I kissed babies, I kissed old ladies, I kissed people's asses, and I didn't get that nomination. That, you know, that's fucking honest. And so, And then he tells you he had to go out that night. And face every reporter on that red carpet saying, you got snubbed. Yeah. And he knows he can come off sounding like an asshole because everyone's saying, yeah, you're a big movie star. So what? Wow, wow, wow. You didn't get nominated. But he didn't care. He was just like, hey, this, this is everything to me. And it, and it fucking, it hurt. I, I just loved it. Loved him. Yeah. And, uh, and you know what? He felt trapped in his marriage and his way of dealing with it was he drank. That ain't him blaming his wife for his drinking. 
He's saying, I didn't know what to do with myself. I had to figure all this out. And, and man, God bless him for saying it. So thanks, Nick. JT, you're on the air. Go ahead in South Carolina. Hey, Howard. Uh, first of all, Merry Christmas. You, Robin, Fred, everybody there. Um, I was really touched and moved. I just want to reiterate what the other caller said. Uh, I come to work at 4.30 in the morning, and I just re-listened to the whole interview again. That guy is just an open book, man. It, it, I feel that some of your best interviews are when you let the you let the guest take the driver's seat, and you just sit back and you co-pilot and you coast and you add in what you need to add in. But I thought that what he had to say about addiction. I'm a recovering addict. I've been uh, sober for 13 years, and I think that what he had to say uh, really shed a light on what the program is doing for people. You know, and uh, try to destigmatize what how people feel about addicts and everything. And I just, I just wanted to tell you that interview was awesome, man. I just, uh, I really liked it. It really touched me. And uh, you know, great job. Thank you for saying that, JT. Because uh, first of all, JT, I should tell my audience is calling in from the moon. That is why his connection sounds oh, this way. It's very staticky. That's moon. So, yeah. Uh, J- so, so. JT yeah, is an I'm astronaut. Really uh, it's okay. Uh, listen, when you call from the moon, yeah, we expect a little technical difficulty. Um, I wanted to. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to. Speak, I, I, I spoke to you earlier in the year. I was the one that talked to Ronnie. You guys were trying to help me out with my whole limp noodle situation with my wife. Right. Uh, we spoke a, a couple of times, but uh, yeah. Well, I'm actually glad. I'm glad you called in, and uh, yeah, I I I, I hear you. And uh, Ben Affleck, nothing but praise for this guy. And and uh, I appreciate it. Next time, don't call in on a ham radio. Call in on a regular telephone. Okay, JT? Thank you. All right, buddy. Uh, you, you, you thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I was going to say when I heard JT's connection. You know, JT, that, that was a good call. It's a shame that some of our listeners uh, just don't have the right connection, but uh, I don't know why in this day and age, because the cell phones, the digital quality is phenomenal. But uh, yeah, I thought for we some had reason, perfected the phone, but apparently JT is coming to us from the past. <laughs> funny you say that. I was going to tell you, Robin, that JT actually was calling from the dead. He, um, <laughs> What happened was he died five years ago ah. and a telephone wire landed on his grave. A telephone wire landed on his grave. And he was able to call us from the beyond. <laughs> that is oh, it was even that further way. than the moon. It was the beyond. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, you mentioned the name Neil Young. You, you Listen, you guys know, anybody who's a listener of this show, there's a couple of musicians that blow my mind. And, you know, I was thinking about Neil Young last night. And I realized that I don't want to talk too much about Neil Young because when we get him on, we'll talk to him. Yeah. But uh, you know how excited I get. If it's Paul McCartney, Neil Young, and there's a couple other musicians that really touched me, I was all of a sudden I had this uh, thought. I owned the album when I was a kid. Now I think the album uh, "Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere" came out in 1960. Fuck, I want to say 1969. John, correct me on that if I'm wrong. Did "Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere" come out in 1969? I'm guessing you are cor- you are correct. 1969. Oh, okay. Well, that's rare. So, I in 1969. Now, Robin, you're really good at math. I was born 1954, so 64 is 10. 
I must have been close to 15 years old. I'm going to give you a wild You're story. giving a ballpark, right? You didn't I'm giving you a ballpark. <laughs> well, I did. I, a 54 sweeps for 10 years. I know that right off the bat. And then <laughs> to get the 69, I know it's another five. The, the tricky part is adding the 10 and the five. You got to remember 10 and five. So I was 15 years old. That's how you do that kind of math. People are amazed how yes, quickly children. I can compute. This is the math you should be doing. Kids, this is the way you compute. This is the way you use your mind to do math. I'm a bit of a math genius. The way I got to 15 years old. So I was 15 Very years quickly, old. quickly. Pretty quick. I got it. Yeah. took me like three minutes and I got there. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, at 15 years old, I, I didn't have any money. I mean, my, my father made a living. Uh, we just didn't have a lot of money. We lived in a shitty part of neighborhood. Did you get an allowance by any chance? I want to say yes, like maybe 50 cents or something. I mean, who knows? I mean, something ridiculously low. You know, my parents had an unrealistic uh, view of money. Like, you know, like 50 cents. I, I couldn't even buy cigarettes. What did you do you with know? that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I couldn't buy weed. <laughs> Imagine being 15. You have no money for weed. What a loser. <laughs> So uh, I I remember I had the album. Now, I didn't have a big album collection. So if I bought an album, that means I had to save for like months. I had the album. Everybody knows this is nowhere. I think I even had it before the album Deja Vu came out. So this is when wow. Neil Young was with Crazy Horse in 1969 before he joined Crosby, Stills, and Nash. This album, fuck, I must listen to this album. Everybody knows this is nowhere. Maybe a hundred thousand times. I remember the cover. I remember Neil on the cover with his dog. I assumed it was his dog. He's standing there. He's got his hand on a tree. I mean, everything about this guy was so meaningful to me because I only, I didn't have 57,000 albums. I had an album, maybe five, but uh, Neil Young. And I can't remember how I even learned about Neil Young. How did I know to buy that album? What was what even triggered me getting this album? Everybody knows this is nowhere. But I had this album and I went out to a record store and bought it. And Jesus Christ, I tell you, that album was everything to me. It just was the best. Oh, uh, Cinnamon Girl was on there. And it was mind blowing. It, it was freewheeling. How long is that track? It's like. I don't even know, but it's like, I want, you know, it's so brilliant, the music, the singing, I don't know who the cinnamon girl is, I, I, Jesus, I didn't have a girl, I not a little, this is a great risk, cinnamon girl, life would be happy the rest of my life with the cinnamon girl, second time I ever got laid in my life, I should tell Neil, I, I don't want to make it about me when I'm talking to Neil, but Got to tell him I, I put on Southern Man. This chick fucking hated me. We <laughs> fucked horribly. Southern Man is not a song to fuck to. I'm sure you Neil would agree. You have the worst agree. taste in fucking music. <laughs> oh my god! You don't want to fuck me. I, you know, to this day, I don't put music on when I fuck Beth. I fuck her sans music because I know I'll make the wrong choice and send her out of the room. Yeah, because I remember one of the others was uh, I shot the sheriff or something. No, no, no. I never fucked anyone that I shot the sheriff. That's a really bad idea. <laughs>
First of all, that song sucks for me. I'm not a big I shot the sheriff guy. Um, I don't know. You anyway. told me something. I was like, how could you think that would get you laid? But that's, that album means so. So when I'm talking to Neil Young, man, I'm gonna I'm going into the weeds with this guy. I, oh, my God. Don't let it bring you down. It's only castles burning. Find someone who's yearning. I think that's okay. And you will. <laughs> he wrote that. <laughs> oh, what a man. What a man. Great music. No, you know what it was? I know what it was. It wasn't Southern Man I fucked that girl to. It was Down by the River. I shot my baby. I shot my baby. Yeah. This, I, I fucked a girl to this. And I knew, I was brand new to fucking. I was head deep in her pussy when I was, when I, I don't know. But we drank and we smoked weed and she was depressed and she was like, this was horrible. She said, drive me home. And I, I, I think I could have fallen in love easily with this girl. She was down by the river. I shot to your favorite song, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'll put some music on. I was like seducing her and it was like down by the river. I shot, I shot my load down by the river. And, and down by the river runs for over nine minutes is this song. And listen to this. It's magnificent. It's listen, just listen to this. I love this. Song. It's an incredible. It's incredible. I can tell you firsthand, nothing good happens down by the river. <laughs> Do not fuck anyone near a river. And this girl was so hot. I know what you're thinking. Bullshit. One of the hottest girls I've ever met in my life. For some freaky reason, she thought I was cool. Because she went to a different school. She didn't know what a loser I was at my school. <laughs> and I was like, wow, we should close the deal fast. Because if she gets word from a neighboring town that I'm a dude, <laughs> it's word over. Can get out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we fucked. I probably ruined Neil Young for her. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah you act like neil young didn't ever write a love song i shot my baby <laughs> i don't know man i was i was nervous hello, oh girl in the sand hello cowgirl in the sand command what a song can here for a while This, you know what it is? I put the side of the album on, and it happened to fall on, on uh, uh, you know, down by the river. Like, in other words, I could have easily fucked to this song, but it wasn't, you know. Jeez. Some of the greatest songs ever written. Anyway, he's going to be in. I got to tell him I fucked a girl, too, with Down by the River. 
Uh, he doesn't want to hear about it. Yeah, why are you going to bum him out? Girl, God, yeah, he's going to be like, you know what? Home. <laughs> yeah. He probably would say, you know, when I wrote it, I wasn't thinking about people, you know, a teenage boy fucking a girl, uh, <laughs> you know, and all, and all in his own defense. Yeah, but anybody would have known not to put that song on for it. When Neil was in here the last time, he told us he wrote Cinnamon Girl, Down by the River, and Cowgirl in the Sand. When he was laid up with 103 fever, he was hallucinating. And I'm wow. like, man, that is a story and a half. And then uh, what else did I know? Neil Young and Crazy Horse had only been together for six or seven days when they when they wrote this when they when they recorded the song Down by the River. They they had very little knowledge of one another as musicians, but they just well, did it. he had played with them. They were in a band called the Rockets, and uh, they used to play together and hang out. He hung out with them more than he hung out with but uh, Buffalo Springfield was that the or what was that yep. band he was with? And uh, Buffalo Springfield and when, was the was the first well, band that Neil Young was with. You know, right. in terms and of so he real said success. he used to hang out with the Rockets more than uh, Buffalo Springfield. So he knew them and he liked them. They were a great band. And then um, they, they became, became crazy, crazy horse. horse. Yeah. 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 You got it right. Look at you. Come over I here. I told you I listened to an interview with Neil. Lennon. Look at you. <laughs> Knowing about the Rockets. That's digging deep. The Rockets. Whenever I hear the name the Rockets, I, there was some band in Detroit. When I worked in Detroit, there was some band like called like something like the Rockets, and uh, I remember like in Detroit, they were a big deal. So they, I think they used to walk around like you know, hey, we're Detroit's Rockets, man. Like you know, like they were going to be the next big thing. Uh huh. I was just like, you know, these guys are a little too sure of themselves to thinking they're going to be the next big thing. Sure enough, they weren't. And I was kind of secretly like laughing because I go, you know, don't assume just because you just because you got a little local fame. Don't don't assume it's going to always translate to the big time. You know, you know, nothing shocked me more. You never know what people and you never know because you got to be nice to everyone when you see them coming up. I remember being in Detroit. I was a schlub and uh Billy Squire used to come by the radio station all the time. He wasn't big. He wasn't the famous Billy Squire at this point. He was a guy. He was a musician working his ass off, trying to get it together for a career. And Billy was always very nice to me. In fact, uh, I told you, there was one time Billy, Billy was, I think, sleeping on the floor of my studio. What? I was working in a, the, the, in Detroit, we, I worked in a little crumply, shitty house right on the main drag, right on the main road in Detroit, whatever they call that main road. Like Michigan Avenue or something. It was so many years ago, I don't even remember. But it was this fucking house right there in the middle of like a really shitty neighborhood. And the doors are wide open. Anybody could walk in. I had no security. Not, I was the only one. I opened the station up at 6 o'clock in the morning, you know. And I don't know. Billy Squire, every once in a while, would wander in. And I, I, I remember one time he was fucking exhausted. He had played all night. And he just laid down on the floor and went to sleep while I was doing the show. <laughs> I think I told the owner, I said, you know, this guy's sleeping on my floor. Like, nobody knew Billy Squire. You know, stroke me, stroke me hadn't come out yet. Right. And then um, and then he invited me down to one of his shows when he when stroke me became big. And I was like, holy fuck. Billy went from sleeping on my floor. Now his um, his his drummer, they had a ritual. 
Billy would stand backstage. Billy wore really tight T-shirts on stage. Billy yeah. would just lift his arms up. He'd be walking around without a shirt on. He'd lift his arms up into the air. And the drummer walks over with the T-shirt pulled wide, slides it over Billy, and then Billy's like, I'm in my T-shirt. Like, it was a, a thing. Like, and I went, holy fuck. This guy went from sleeping on my floor to his drummer's now holding his T-shirt so he can yeah, get dressed before the show. <laughs> so the fucking T-shirt doesn't wrinkle. I go, this is fucking rock and roll. And I was happy for him. He made it. He was always nice to me. Uh, Billy Squire. I told you I ran out, or I ran into him out here where I live. He, um, he and his wife have a house somewhere out here. Yeah, you said that a while back. Mm, yeah. We said a quick hello and everything, but many, many years ago, 1980-something, I was, uh, you know, broadcasting out of this shithole in Detroit. And a lot of these bands, a lot of these rock bands were, um, like, they, they all of a sudden, they, they, they come in and they just kind of hang, sleep, you know, fuck around in this old house. Get your records played. Yeah. That was crazy. Back in those days, anyway. Yeah, shit. I remember sitting there and Van Halen was being interviewed by one of the jocks. And right out on our lawn, all these girls were out there. They were all dressed like with the stockings, with the line going up the back of the stockings. Right. David Lee Roth said he, yeah, he said he liked the seam in the stockings and the song and they all wore it. And all these girls are out there. And I'm like, motherfucker. And Journey would be in there hanging out. It was crazy times. I mean, I, I was doing a radio show one time. I invited in a bunch of bikers, you know, tough guys who were, you know, bikers in bike gangs. And I'm interviewing them. Like, I thought it would be funny to have the guys in and really talk real shit on the air. And they, they took out a ton of blow and they start to, and I go, oh, fuck. <laughs> These guys are doing blow. I can't have them do, you know, it's a radio station licensed by the government. They, they'll shut your ass down and take away the license if any illegal drugs are. And I'm like, excuse me, sirs. I, I went to commercial. Uh, can you please not do any blow? They're like, fuck you, you know. <laughs> they, they yeah, you open guys. the door. It's like a vampire, you know, like you invited yeah, the yeah. vampire in. He's not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they were not. They were, they were like, fuck you. And they did their blow. I mean, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't want them to beat me up. I hadn't took enough beatings. I should have put that in my movie. I put a lot of scenes in that movie that never made it in. I wonder where those scenes are. We had to cut most of Hartford radio, this stuff I cut in Hartford before I met you, Robin. Yeah. I put, I did a whole thing about me, um, staying in a hotel and there were some hookers arguing next door while I just got hired. That's where they put me up and then they shot a hole through the wall with a gun. Oof. While, right through my wall. And I, I, we shot, we filmed it. We filmed all these scenes. It was pretty you never funny. Told I don't me know. Somebody but... was shooting next yeah, door. They sh <laughs> yeah, they shot a hole through the wall. They were screaming and yelling. It was uh, it was called the nice a hotel place. was on the in, in in Hartford. I don't know what it's like now, but it was called the Berlin Turnpike, and you could get a hotel room for like I don't know for like sixty dollars for the week. Oh, good. so they you know I I said to the owner of the radio station, you got to put me up. I don't have a place to live yet. I don't have any money. You're paying me $200 a week or something. I don't have a dime. He goes, all right, all right. We have a trade deal with a hotel. I'll put you up. I thought I was going to go to like a, I don't know, like a, like a fucking normal hotel. Yeah, Holiday Inn. 
Holiday Inn. And there was a Holiday Inn in Hartford, but it probably cost $60 a night. I'm on the Berlin Turnpike with a bunch of hookers who were, you know, renting out rooms for an hour. You're in the no-tell motel. Yeah, and I'm supposed, and I'm, I'm starting a new job. Jesus. So we, we shot a bunch of that stuff, but, uh, you know, you couldn't put everything in. It's like what Ben Affleck was saying about editing. You know, you gotta just, you gotta lose some material. Not that it wasn't good when we shot it. No, but it was like, here's the story. You know, like yeah. in the editing room, you discover what the story is. But we spent quite a bit of time because I was on the set and then the, the gun goes off and then I, I dive under a table. <laughs> I remember shooting it. Ugh. Oh, it is Ralphie boy. What do you, hey, Ralphie, what's up? Hey, now. She do get a director's cut of that going, man. That, uh, yeah, yeah. That, it's all right. It's, you know, we've had enough private parts. The uh, director did cut it. <laughs> the director cut it right onto the floor. And let me tell you something <laughs> Betty Thomas, Ivan Reitman, those people knew what to cut. Uh, if they cut it, there was a reason. This director's cut stuff is fucking nonsense. I'm telling you. Well, speaking of directors, I got to say something about a couple of things about Ben Affleck. I, you know, I was thinking earlier this week, who was the best guest of the year? Who'd have known it was going to be one of the last guests of the year? I thought he was amazing. I hung on his every word. I mean, he yep. he covered everything. I mean, you guys talked about the uh, the introspective stuff, and you know, I'll go all that was great. But also, like you know, I feel about TV and movies like you feel about music. And when he's talking about the editing process and the writing and how he came up with Matt Damon and what he was thinking and the acting and we wanted to do this, I mean, it was just, I mean, nonstop. I can't wait to listen back to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Just great. He's, he's, that's, why, that's why when I heard the one comment, you know, I was almost waiting, I was hoping that somebody would write dude, something like, hey, dude, man, dude. Ben Affleck, that guy keeps it real. But, you know, the takeaway was, Oh, he blames his ex-wife for his drinking because he felt trapped in his marriage. Well, fuck, that's about the most honest, raw thing you could say. I, I talked to tons of people who have been in bad relationships or and stayed in too long because they felt trapped. They felt Dude, so, as if it, it, they couldn't leave. Yeah. It's so funny you say that because I Googled Ben Affleck news because I'm expecting the same thing as you. People like he revealed yeah. a lot of interesting stuff. And I see this one headline. Ben Affleck's cruelty knows no limits after terrible Jennifer Gardner <laughs> insult. I mean, like, it's what? not an insult to her. I know it, it drives it drives me crazy. That's oh, why I called yeah. him. I said, you you are you were phenomenal. And. Anyone who listens to that interview will say the guy was phenomenal. He was not good. He was phenomenal. He's a he's a That's very you can fucking never, smart guy. Ever read those tabloids? They're no. only looking to tear somebody well, apart. I mean, make just sound like that's your life, job for a living. Yeah, they made him sound like ISIS. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, hey, he, he's a terror. It's just crazy, and I felt so bad. But uh, all right, Ralphie, I hear you. Thank you. Yeah, that's Ralph Sorrell, everyone. Thanks. All right. Now Ralphie. Ralph can make a movie. He learned everything. You know what? He's probably doing that. Although he'll probably, you know, if you say, Ralph, go make a movie now that you know everything, he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to do it, but not now. I, I want to. <laughs> yeah. I've got a lot of projects. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I'm kind of busy now to make a movie. <laughs> Divorce, it means the marriage is bad, not the people involved in it. You know, and not everybody, you know, everybody get off your fucking high horse. Try to, try to compliment someone when they're honest and real. That's, 
But that's not interesting. Um, as long as I'm reading you, the fans will see Ben Affleck. We talked about that. The, the legendary Beetlejuice showed up yesterday, and you know, what did people say about the return of Beetlejuice? First, and one last thing about Ben Affleck, he had to follow Beetlejuice, and that ain't easy. And, no. uh, and you know, he, he did it. You know, like he was ready. He said, "You know what? I've got to, I've got to lay it down." <laughs> <laughs> uh, the legendary Beetlejuice joined us yesterday after a five-year hiatus. I was thrilled. He was uh, live on Zoom with his manager, Bobby, who is the genius behind Beetlejuice, of course. Uh, everyone knows Bobby. Be and gone. Bobby, <laughs> be, be, you know, the, the projects Bobby gets involved with, poor Beetlejuice. Uh, it's just, it, it, Beat is way ahead of the curve. Thanks oh, to Bobby. he's on it. Right there at the edge it, of the envelope. The dynamic between Bobby and Beetlejuice is really, truly amazing. And uh, uh, anyway, they were live on Zoom, Bobby and Beetlejuice, from a hotel room in Georgia. And Beat, uh, geez, Beat always delivers. Always, as you know. What You know, what's been going on for five years? We haven't seen you in so long. <laughs> eating pussy, five years. Five years oh, of eating pussy. you got stuck in some pussy? <laughs> yeah. Beat, five years, cruel bitches. You know, B, you even fucked my wife, right? You said that one time you yeah. fucked uh, Beth. Yeah. Yeah. About yeah, 10 years her. ago. 10 <laughs> years ago. That's right. <laughs> I mean, he was right, actually. He's amazing. Pete also spoke about his marriage to Jennifer Garner and said uh, he felt trapped. <laughs> Did that make the tabloids? No. No one cared about Pete. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Beat came back. Uh, let's see. Bobo tweeted, wow, amazing to hear the greatest whack packer live on the air. Awesome. Thank you, Howard. And the entire staff for making it possible. I learned that Beetlejuice, we had a meeting last week, and uh, all of a sudden Gary says to me, hey, Be Beetlejuice, you want him on the I said, do I want him on the air? Get him on as soon as possible. What day can People he be? clamoring. Yeah, exactly. And uh, sure enough, we got word Beat wanted to promote you know, beat pretty much, they keep them locked down. But I guess the family was so excited about this new, uh, this, this cryptocurrency that Beatles involved in that they felt, okay, let's get him out and there the and NFT, promote him. I mean, he's in it all, you know. He's in it all. And, you know, I thought for so long, why, why is beat not on the show anymore? Five long years. Is this the right move for beat to stay away from the public? And, you know, sure enough, the guy not only looked great, but, I realized the demand, what a brilliant businessman, the demand beat built up by disappearing for five years. The, the excitement was, it was palpable, palpable. That's what they say. Yeah, you could feel it. It was palpable. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Having Beetlejuice back on after five years is the true definition of a Christmas miracle. Thank you, guys. He's still as bad as can. Ain't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? It is so great. Hello, my name is Pretty Juice. Jenga Beat, everybody. I say Jenga Beat, Pretty Juice. Jenga Beat, Pretty Juice. Jenga Beat, I mean that. Whoa. Hey, I'm the boss, motherfucker. Take a ride with the Pretty Juice, baby. Come on. And I say Jenga Beat, Pretty Juice. Jenga Beat, Pretty Juice. Bitches with the money. Whoa. Oh, yeah. I miss you a lot of Christmas. Shit. Yeah, happy Jewish Day, you cocksucker. <laughs> Beetlejuice's return this morning is bigger than when Michael Jordan came back to the NBA. The king of all whack packers has returned to claim his throne, and boy did he ever with a with a an hour of just raw honesty from Beetlejuice 
about all the pussy he's getting. He's even fucking a 70-year-old. 75 year old woman. 75. 70, he's fucking a 75-year-old woman. And he even revealed that his own mother is 10 years older than himself. <laughs> Finally, the return of Beetlejuice. I'm on the West Coast, and I'm so glad I woke up early to experience this monumental moment live. I couldn't stop laughing. Thank you so much for making my morning. Uh, one fan even complimented me and said, the reason, Howard, you are brilliant is you interview Beetlejuice the same way you interview Paul McCartney. Well, <laughs> hey, <laughs> I don't know if Two that's legends. brilliant. Two legends. Yeah. By the way, um, the Beat is smart to come on the show because Beatcoin, which is what uh, Beetle was promoting, Beatcoin is now trading at 37.9 cents today. Are you kidding? I am not kidding. If you had bought... What was it trading at yesterday? Um, it was in the. It was like twenty seven at the end of the show. Bitcoin is trading at thirty. It was under thirty cents yesterday, so it's now thirty seven point nine. Robin, you claim to be some sort of financial genius. Why didn't you buy Bitcoin and make yourself a? <laughs> you know you, what? This it, crypto it, is so complicated, Howard. I don't even know how to get a hold of it. <laughs> how is it that Beetlejuice and Bobby understand it and you don't? But uh, here. It was it, when Beetle was on our show. It was twenty eight cents. Now it's thirty seven point nine. That's Beat a nine coin. point rise. I understand. Uh, this is exciting. Beetle, I think, is ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange today. If uh, I have it right, <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I don't know what Bitcoin is. I don't understand it. But all I know is it's worth more money today than it was yesterday. That's and how that you if make you, money. Yeah, when your money gets is worth more than it was yesterday. Why is it you love Beetlejuice so much and yet you didn't buy? I never invest in any of his products. I'm going to say something now, and it's probably unpopular to say around here. But 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 Be Bitcoin put Sirius XM stock to shame yesterday. <laughs> I don't understand. Shame. Oh, these kids, these newfangled ideas. Shame. Uh oh <laughs> people also wrote in about the tenth anniversary of Ronnie's poem called Winter. We celebrated uh. by Ronnie did a rewrite of Winter and we had JD back on yesterday to read it. Howard, I can't believe it's been ten years since JD read Ronnie's poem Winter on the show. Time flies just as ridiculous now as it was then. You're here. I don't know which is funnier about the winter poem. Ronnie writing it or J.D. reading it. They are like the dopey duo of poetry. <laughs> Howard, Ronnie is a horrible poet and J.D. reads terribly. A perfect combination. They should take it to a real poetry slam. I love it. Oh, I could. Oh, please. Let's do that. <laughs> That's a good idea. Hey, guys, let's do it. Go to one of these wacky poetry slams and let J.D. get up and read Ronnie's poem. Let's just hear the audience. So there you go. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Hmm. It's the holidays, and I'm just thinking. I, I'm actually caught up in thought right now, thinking about how lucky I feel that we had Billie Eilish and Ben Affleck. Then we get we get uh, Neil Young on today. Jeez, that's that's awfully that's pretty fucking awesome to tell you the truth. And Absolutely. you know, with the holiday. Oh, hold on, Robin. I'm being interrupted, unfortunately. Oh. oh, it's our own announcer. I don't mind. George Takei. George, uh, go ahead. What do you want to say this holiday season? 
Merry Christmas, Howard and Robin. Or as we say in Japanese, Merry Christmas to Oh. <laughs> wow. Hey, there's uh, George, many by the way. international ways of saying Merry Christmas. I'm just so excited for the holidays. <laughs> I want to say something to you. When you were talking to Beetlejuice yesterday and the two of you started conversing in Japanese, it was one of my favorite moments ever on the show. I <laughs> love the way the two of you it were talking. It was a proud moment of mine as well, uh, most especially because Brad and I are huge fans of Beetlejuice, and we know that his talents are, are unbounded. He has a depth of knowledge that is still untapped, and we need to unleash that power. Wow. Wow. Brad! So... Brad, you better not be up there eating Santa's milk and cookies. <laughs> His belly's getting bigger than Santa's. You know, George, I want to say something during the holiday spirit. I'm very grateful for you being on the show, and I, and I love that you're our announcer, and I love that you are on Star Trek, and I love when you talk about uh, William Shatner and all this stuff. But I'm going to say something. You should make a New Year's resolution. I know it bums you out that Brad has gotten fat. I know that sexually you'd rather have Brad be in good shape, but my God, you know, the way you pick on him for his belly, it's terrible. You know, that that's true, and I apologize, uh, not just to, to you, but to Brad. I do love Brad, and you know, Brad and I, we celebrate and we joke with each other. In fact, during the holidays, we coat our balls in powdered sugar and dip them <laughs> in hot cocoa. We call it marshmallow balls. We even sing. Marshmallow balls, marshmallow balls, dip them in cocoa. Slurp it up, slap my butt, and in your mouth we goes. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love when you sing holiday songs. Uh, listen, uh, George, Merry Christmas. Thank you. and um, Merry and, Christmas. Uh, and if you want to celebrate the holiday cheer, I highly suggest that you purchase the Allegiance DVD box set. It's a <laughs> Available now at my website. <laughs> well, George K's allegiance uh, uh, was recorded on the big screen, and it's uh, it's it's region free. Howard, you can play it anywhere on any DVD player. In fact, uh, countries all over the world can enjoy it. Uh, no one is uh, listening to DVDs. No one's uh, listening. Yeah. See, give my love to Brad, will you? Okay, I, I uh, will. Brad, Howard loves Has you. He heard of Brad. <laughs> Maybe Brad doesn't want to tell it. <laughs> there you go. Ah, look who it is, our old friend Jeff Jarvis. Jeff, uh, I'll tell you who Jeff is. Jeff is a guy who is a critic. Was a, Are you still considered a critic? Or, or I mean, he. I first read Jeff Jarvis's column in TV Guide 100 yeah. years ago. That's he was I a young guy. with you. Yeah, and uh, we always... Uh, Always liked his column. It was good. Bright guy, Jeff Jarvis. So anyway, what's up? That's where I, that's where I said you were greater than the sum of your farts. Yeah, that was a good line. Uh, but yeah, what are you doing now? I like it. What are you doing now? I I teach at uh, the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. Oh no, kidding! So that must you must yeah. be like the big deal professor, professor there, Jarvis. Because I'm professor you... Jarvis been doing that for fifteen years. So you must be a big deal to the students because you actually had a job. I can't, you know, when I went to college, I was a journalism minor and a broadcast major. 
And I got to say, 99% of the professors had actually never worked at anything. I only had one guy who actually was a um, columnist for the Boston Globe, Mm -hmm. Jeremiah P. Murphy. He was the journalism uh, guy who (laughs) taught me. And I remember thinking, wow, this guy actually works for the Boston Globe. Like, he's the real deal. Like, these other guys I got, none of them were on the radio. None of them. I don't know who the fuck they were teaching me over there at that school. Now, I, I, I mean, and I went, well, I could, and this guy was great. The guy who actually worked in the business, he was a no bullshit guy. He's, he got us in that class. He says, you little fuckers want to be, he didn't say little fuckers, but that's what we were. He goes, you guys want to work for a newspaper? And we were handing in, you know, all kinds of like articles with our thoughts. He goes, right. never mind all this. You sit here and write an obituary. Find someone who died. And because the only way you're going to get a job on a newspaper being a beginner is writing the obituaries. They give that to, you know, you schlubs. And well, he, he and knew he had because he had actually gone out there and made his way yep. in journalism. So when you walk in the classroom, so these are, kids, they must go like fucking wild. Like you actually worked in well, journalism. Hey, some of them were most impressed with the fact that you picked up my phone calls, honest to God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll keep that going then. So, by, by the way, by the way, I, I, a few 